Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. Welcome everybody to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I am Dale Luganville, your host and are bringing back the old weekend recap and rant. Uh, yeah, I asked you guys if, uh, Give me a little feedback if you were liking those or not. I don't know why I kind of got the thought that maybe you didn't, but I, 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 I don't know. I mean, the downloads are fine, so I, I don't know why I thought that. Maybe it's just because I think it's weird when I'm just talking by myself and rambling. But anyways, you guys gave me some good feedback. I didn't actually get any negative feedback. People telling me, yeah, thank God you stopped. They're terrible. Um, so here we go. We're going to do it. Uh, it's a little more than a weekend. Um, I'm trying to see, go back a ways. Um, so I went hunting. Oh, man, when was that? Was that two weeks ago already? Good Lord. It was when the like the kind of the first cold snap came around. So, yeah, I think, yeah, well, I don't think it was this week. Uh, no, it wasn't last week. Yeah, it would have been the week before last. Anyways, doesn't matter. Um, but it was like, yeah, like that kind of first cold snap. And I went, uh, I went hunting by myself out to, uh, to a lake and, uh, set out some decoys, a bunch of goose decoys and, uh, I don't know, a handful of diver decoys, I suppose. I was testing that theory of mine, um, well, this isn't really a theory, easy for you to say, uh, the calendar migration for some of the divers like camasbacks and redheads, ringers, bluebills, stuff like that. Um, I think it's pretty widely known that they do calendar migrate, but the theory I've been toying with for the last four years or so is that these birds, at least some of them, will actually move like ahead of that big front. So, um, so not necessarily that cold Northwest wind, which is like traditionally been what I've always told, you know, that's when you want to be out there and that's pushing in the new birds and, um, you know, makes sense on paper, I guess. But we started noticing a trend, um, the last few years, not like we didn't really like the first time we thought about it, the first time it happened to us, we didn't put a ton of thought into it and we kind of 
in retrospect, we're like, well, what was that about? So what we're finding is in that mid-October, you get a little bit of a warm front followed by that cold front where drastic drop in temperatures, strong northwest winds, maybe some snow, whatever. But in front of that, you end up having a south wind, and if it's a like a moderate, like, you know, 10 mile an hour is perfect. So like 10, 15, uh, cloudy, usually, you know, maybe a little bit of rain or something with it. Um, and we were noticing that we were seeing a lot of birds then. And it seemed to make sense to us. So then we tested the theory the next couple of years. Now, it hasn't always played out. So there could be some other factors involved, maybe moon, something like that uh, would be, you know, helpful if I kept like a detailed journal uh but who does that weirdos do that and uh, i don't do that that would make sense though um kind of keep tabs on that but it really was like one year out of the four where it didn't really pan out like that and so because this year i went out on that morning and did see a bunch of birds there was high flying i didn't i didn't shoot any divers really unless you consider the two hooded mergansers i shot as divers, and technically they do dive, uh, but when people say diver ducks, they're not referring to mergansers. But anyways, I did see a ton of really high-flying um, flocks of divers, and they were headed south. And so I think kind of what happens is, oh, and the and the blue-winged teal were flocked up in huge numbers. Um, I went out there kind of specifically for divers, so I wasn't going to shoot much anything unless, you know, it was right there. Well, I had passed on a couple flocks of, of teal already, had some of the decoys, whatever, until I had this massive flock. It might have been 100 birds strong. It was all a 70 for sure. And these things just came <laughs> right at me all balled up, and I just uh, I couldn't resist. It was like a cat, you know, on a piece of yarn or something <laughs> I could just I couldn't resist so I pull up and I shoot once and three birds fall I'm like oh Jesus so and three uh, blue-winged teal and then uh, proceeded to get covered up in teal all morning long and I didn't shoot because I was hoping to get some of those divers down uh, which never happened well I did I'm not being 100% honest I did whiff on uh, like a five pack of ringers so that's on me. They fly really fast, though. Good Lord. Um, so, yeah. Then the next day, so I think what happens is they a lot of them move in ahead of that. And then, so here's some bro science as far as, like, why they migrate then. In my mind, it seems to make sense that with the south wind, it's warm, uh, even if it's raining, like the rain's not a cold rain, it's like a warm rain. So there's a lot of updraft. So you think it would be easier to fly in front of that front, in front of the front. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, you know, if you think of aerodynamics, it'd be easy to stay aloft. A lot easier to fly than with the strong tailwind, cold pushing you down per se. But who knows why they actually do it? But it seems to work out. Uh, and you're not freezing your balls off. However, I didn't shoot that many divers. So I think why people have traditionally thought that the birds are migrating on that cold northwest wind is they move in ahead of it, 
then the day following they're moving around the lake at a lower elevation where you can actually shoot them because the ones i saw were way up there they were they were making a move they weren't interested in coming down so the following day they're probably down where they're going to be for a while um and so that's when you get to shoot them so it might still pay oh, obviously it does pay to go out you know in the northwest wind uh, but Something to put in your uh, idea box next year when you guys are out. We start getting around the 15th of October. Look at the forecast. And you see that warm day right before the major cold front. If you have the opportunity to go hunting, check it out. Start keeping some notes. Uh, and let me know if you see the same thing. So the next day, I was going to hunt again. Because I was like, this would be a perfect. I'll hunt the same, same lake. Um, see what I see between the two days, warm front and cold front. Well, I get a message on Snapchat um, from somebody who listens to the podcast. And uh, he's like, hey, you want to go hunting tomorrow? I was like, well, you know what? Shit, why not? I was already going to go hunting anyways. Might as well hunt with somebody. And uh, so I ended up uh, going with uh, Tyler T-Bone on Snapchat. So, I mean, really... I mean, it could have been a random message from just about anybody, but I was like, you know, everybody should have a T-bone as a friend, you know. Everybody needs that one dude in their circle that's nickname is T-bone. And I didn't have one up until this point, so now I feel a little more fulfilled. <laughs> Thanks, T-bone. Uh, so, yeah, we went out and uh, went to one of his lakes that he's done. He usually does really well and during that calendar migration. And uh, we shot two mallards, and we didn't really see a ton. So, for whatever that's worth, they didn't. Maybe they didn't make it down that far because we were hunting quite a bit further south than where I was hunting the day before. Um, so maybe they just didn't make as big of a move. It's hard to say. So it's definitely not an exact science. Uh, let's see. Then what did I do? Oh, then I went fishing. And uh, froze my fingers off. It was cold. But we did catch some fish. We got in some nice smallmouth. And it took a while to put the pattern together. They were, it was like dock fishing, but not dock fishing. Like they were relating to the docks, but they weren't necessarily underneath the docks. They were actually like staging out in front of it or on like the upcurrent side it's like a flowage lake on the upcurrent side corner of the dock seemed to be a hot spot. Again, not necessarily under it, but out from it. And uh, bite was super weird. They would they'd pick it up and drop it, pick it up and drop it. I mean, there's ties, so you just have to like wait, and they would pick it up. Your line would be moving. So, I mean, what are you supposed to do? You reel down, set the hook, and it's nothing. You're like, what? And, you know, every now and then you, your plastic would get pulled down or whatever. I was throwing a jig. And it was just, it was crazy trying to get these things to actually put a hook in them. Um, kind of started getting the feel of it, and we're, we're catching some fish. Caught some pretty decent ones, some three and a half, uh, dangerously close to four. I don't think we went over four. But, um, yeah, we started, it was Joel and I in the boat, and we started uh, actually, I mean, catching fish like multiple fish off of one spot but it was just interesting because in between docks we'd like fish the same break line no bites nothing and then you'd get to another dock boom 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 boom, boom. again not under it just out from it so it's kind of weird they're using them but they weren't using them i don't 
really quite know. And there's not like there's a ton of current in this lake, but there is some current. So maybe that slight current break, I don't know. But anyways, it was it was definitely a repeatable pattern, and so we stuck with it, and we fished pretty much till dark, and it was very cold. And as we were fishing, of course, um, there's geese are flying out to feed like ah shit ton of them and they went out pretty early like they left around 3 30 i think we started seeing birds flying and we never saw them come back and so we had a goose hunt planned for the next day oh i was going goose hunting that's right i was meeting up with uh, the boys from premier flight if you've listened to that podcast and um i had a hunt plan with them and I just thought, but I don't think we're going to do very good because the, it was going to be cold and clear the next morning, north winds, and as late as they fed the night before, I was like, boy, I just don't see them having any urgency to feed early in the morning. And that's pretty much what we found. Did shoot, um, got one wood duck and one goose, I believe. Um, Should have had more wood ducks, really. The the first, like, three-pack surprised us, and they landed in the field, and somebody uh, walked out and jump shot one of them. Um, so we should have cleaned those up if we would have been paying attention. And then we had, like, a five-pack come in. They went in behind us, and so we never really had a, a shot at those. You know, we saw geese. I mean, that was the thing. Like, they didn't just sit on the water. They, I don't know if they were flying water to water or what they were doing, but because we kind of saw geese flying in all different directions, but they – didn't really show any interest you know we kind of got that one the one that we did sneak out um you know they they worked us okay but i don't know they just it's kind of what i expected it to be but then we did the podcast it was super fun i had a great time doing that and i've been sitting in the stand uh when i can for just for you know an hour at night or sometimes in the morning because we're ramping up uh pre-rut here and haven't really seen anything <laughs> To be honest, uh, I've pulled up my camera or my trail cams and I'm looking at it and there hasn't been much daytime activity. Um, Those are coming through really, really irregularly. And usually they're on on my property. They're on much more of like a pattern, but not so much this year. I don't know if the snow's got them all weird. Um, There's not a ton of food on my property and there's not much for ag around so I don't know if they just moved to thicker cover or ah I don't know I don't have any good answers I wish I did it would definitely help my success but going through my trail cam pictures I saw this like little basket six another six little tiny eight blah 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 and it's on that ridge I have a particular tree where a scrape sets up like every single day or every day every year it sets up same spot so I always put a camera on it it's a good you know you get to see what what bucks are there? Although the does actually hit that branch sometimes too. Um, so I'm seeing all these kind of smaller bucks. Nothing, nothing too crazy, earth shattering. And then I pulled the other card, which is actually next to my stand, and uh, going to there, I'm like, oh look, there's a couple does, a few fawns, middle of the day. It was like 1:30. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, going to that night. Going through, click, 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 boom. Whoa, what the hell? This is giant buck. Just a gorgeous buck. Uh, right in the middle of my little food plot there. 
and he's sniffing those tracks of where those does were earlier in the day. I was like, are you kidding me? Where did this guy come from? Like, I have not seen him before. Probably won't see him ever again, but holy smokes. That lit a fire. I mean, that, that got me more into the deer hunting uh, mindset. And now as we're getting closer and closer to November and pre-ruts just heating up, them, them deer are going to be moving. So uh, if you're a bow hunter, whenever you can get out, if it's not morning and it's not evening, it doesn't matter because now we're getting into that time of, a year where they can be moving at any time. So get into the stand. So let's see. Let's go into this past weekend. Uh, it was really cold. I didn't do um, a bunch. As I actually wasn't feeling very good. Uh, I don't think it was the Rona, but I didn't get tested either. Um, I just socially distanced myself, anyways. Uh, but it came on like every other cold I've ever had. You know, just because there is this pandemic going on, that doesn't mean other regular colds and flu just mysteriously stop. But I got a sore throat, and then that migrated around for a couple of days, and then it turned into a, a head cold. And I had one day where it was just like my head was just throbbing, and and that went away. And now I'm just a little bit stuffy. You might hear that on this recording, but I'm on definitely on downside. I feel like a million times better, and it wasn't even it wasn't even that bad. It's like every other, like I said, it was every other cold. So even if it was the dirty Rona, so what? I mean, it's like. If, if that's all it is, we really are making a big deal out of nothing. But I'm not going to get into that rant. I will let that sleeping dog lie. But anyways, so we went um, went hunting on... I didn't... Yeah, so I hunted Saturday morning in the stand and then Saturday night. Didn't see anything. But Sunday morning, we went on a goose hunt because we got on a, a hot X field um, that was just loading up big time. And uh, I don't know. We just have some bad luck going on <laughs> with this, whatever. So we, we set up. Um, we had a bunch of dive bombs out and just a handful of avians, some sleeper shells. And it was snowing. I, mean, I wouldn't have minded a little bit more wind, um, but... I know we did have some wind, and the hide wasn't that great. There was a little ditch, but the grass in the ditch wasn't very tall. Did kind of hide the profile a little bit, but we had some birds getting behind us, and they flared hardcore. So we're like, uh, well, this isn't moving. So we were kind of debating, should we move? And there's like, there's a couple different options. There was standing corn, which you think would be the obvious one, but... Where they where the geese were, they had all the snow removed from the field, was like 80 yards from the standing corn. So we're like, that's eh, kind of far from the actual X if we were hunting the X. But then there was a big line of round bales that were stacked up. But the only problem is they were like, they ran like north and south, and then the feed was like straight south of those. So they didn't really, you know, if they're the other way and you could have backed up to them, like definitely would hide your silhouette more. But that wasn't the case, so we kind of just went even with the the last one, and hopefully we just made it look like farm junk, you know. And uh, they just they still wouldn't do it. I mean, they weren't necessarily flaring, but they just they wouldn't do it. I, I don't know how else to explain it. And then so we decided we weren't feeling 
good about our hides. We moved it again. And so there's like this corn, there's hay, and then a combine, or then, you know, then harvested bean field. And you can see all the goose tracks. I mean, there's just like, dude, so many goose tracks. And then like walking into this cornfield. And it's like, so we set up, well, we had some in the corn, then we had some in the grass, kind of like making it look like just they were walking in, like is what they saw when they were scouting it. And so we moved our blinds around. So now we are butted up. They're all lined up. They're butted up to the round hay bales. So we were much more confident in our hide. And these birds are starting to come in. So we decided to hunt all day, by the way. So the morning hunt was kind of a bust. And so we decided, well, let's go into town. Because they all came out and they landed in the middle of this the bean field. And they just stood there. I mean, some of them had their heads down every once in a while. But I don't think they were actively feeding. Like, they're just like morning loaf or something i don't know and then they all took off went back to water so we're like screw it let's just go get lunch in town and then uh come back out and hunt so that's what we did and they kind of started i mean there was always a random flock in the air it seemed um so we headed out back to blind and just spent the day out there but they i mean they were acting like they were so stale and so pressured because they would get to like the edge of the decoys and just pick straight up so finally towards the it's getting later and later and later. So we just start taking decoys down, taking arm armfuls of, of silhouettes down and, and making the spread smaller and smaller and smaller. And then, uh, you know, then we started taking some high passing shots, basically like snow goose shooting these hawkers. And we're getting them. I mean, we're, you know, chipping away one, one or two here. And then uh, shot a quill. Hell yeah, dude. Um, that was cool though. That was a migrating flock that we brought down. That was awesome. I'm kind of surprised that, uh, cause at this time we had a, we had live birds on the ground, but they're about 60, 70 yards out from us. So a fair poke. And I'm really surprised that those migrators didn't just dump in with those live geese, but they didn't, they came down. I mean, they were working, 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 working. And then one peeled off and, and was able to shoot that one. And that was the one that had the big white bar across his chest, which everybody, if you're not familiar, for those people that might be listening to this and aren't waterfallers, goose hunters. So it's kind of an inside joke. I don't know when it started, but you would get these color phase geese. They would have a big white bar. Maybe they'd have some white feathers, primary feathers on their wings. They're just kind of an oddball. They look pretty cool, actually. Um, but somehow it got rumored that those birds are from the Quill Lake area in Canada. And I don't know if there's any truth to it, but it, it kind of stuck. And so now, it, now but now it's kind of be kind of a running joke among goose hunters. If you get one that looks like that, you're like, oh, it's a quill. So anyways, that was that. It is a cool looking bird for sure. And so we were taking decoys down, taking decoys down. And um, apparently we got enough of them out of the way that you know we needed five more birds for a limit and uh had a pair come in did it just sweet boom boom clean them up nice finally geese had actually decoyed and then uh we only needed three more and there comes a three pack they do it just perfect out in front of us three up three down boom and we're done so yeah it took all day uh but we finally got a four-man limit so that was uh, a success, but it was weird. It was like a tainted success because it just didn't. It was it was so laborious 
<laughs> it didn't necessarily feel like a success, but it definitely was a success. So I will take that. So here I am. I'm recording. I am uh, down by Rochester in a little town called Orinoco, uh, doing some work for a buddy of mine. And so, but I brought my, because I'm like, dude, this is the week. This is the week leading up to like Halloween. Like you need to be in the woods. I'm like, screw it. I'm bringing my bow hunt stuff. So I brought my bow down. I want camo and this, that, and the other thing. I don't want to have a portable stand. So I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'll just buy a cheapo. I went to Menards, found a $50 hang-on stand. I'm like, perfect. Cannot find climbing sticks or even the screw-in tree pegs anywhere. Everybody is sold out. So I basically have a $50 paperweight at this point. It does me no good. Uh, so that's cool. So I'm like, you know what? Oh, God dang it. And I was talking to uh, Jason Cushlin, if you uh, have heard him on this podcast a couple times. And I was getting, I looked at this some public land around here. And I found a spot that looked pretty good. Um, kind of in that, like, Dan Infault kind of, you know, swamp deer kind of bedding trees in the swamp kind of thing. I'm like, oh, it looks pretty good. And so I was kind of giving um, Jason's opinions on it and, we, you know, he sent me a, a a map with some dots where he would put stands. Where I'm like, okay, we're on the same on the same wavelength. I'm starting to get this a little bit. Well, now I don't have a stand, right? But I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna I'm gonna glass anyways. And because uh, the wind wasn't really right for that spot, um, the way we intended it is like northwest wind today is gonna be southwest wind in the morning. But I can get out there, keep my distance, just eyeball where I think they're going to cross and come from that bedding area and see if I can see something slipping out. And uh, so I get I get out there, and it's a pretty long walk from where you park in this WMA. Of course, I don't understand, but I'm like, maybe if I'm lucky, I'll find a tree that I can kind of just shimmy up and get a decent vantage point well there are a couple decent oaks that have some lower branches i'm like i think i can get up in this one and uh i did but i think it wasn't able to get up so i got up on like the first branch and then thought i could be able to get higher but i really couldn't there just wasn't any hand foothold nothing like it was just too sketch i'm like well this is gonna have to do so i was probably all of like eight feet off the ground and there wasn't really, I couldn't find, like, a comfortable place to, like, sit and actually, like, legitimately hunt. Because I, I wasn't even going to bring my bow. And I thought, well, I better bring it just in case. So I, I got my bow and I got my binoculars. And so I sit there and, and I'm kind of getting the position and rustling around. And, and I see some movement. And I put the, I didn't catch it in the binals, but I can see this deer running back and forth all the way kind of the crossing that I wanted to, to glass. I couldn't tell what it was. It kind of looked like a smaller deer, probably a fawn. And uh, I don't know what he was doing. I mean, I was, they were way upwind to me. So it, it definitely wasn't anything I was doing. So I don't know if he got bumped by a buck or he's just a fawn playing around. I don't know. But I'm like, well, there's deer in the area at least. That, that part's cool. So I'm just chilling. I kind of got my back up in the tree and I'm not in a good, you know, position. I catch movement out of the corner of my eye. I look to my right where I don't really expect to see anything. If anything, that would be where I would expect to see them coming in the morning as they're headed back to bedding here comes this deer i was like what in the heck i put my binoculars up it's it's a freaking buck it's like it's not a great buck by any stretch of imagination it's bigger than the one i shot last year but it's an eight 
um, decent tines, no real mass to it. And he's like, oh, a little bit outside his ears. Nothing, I mean, or even with his ears or, you know, it's, it looked like, I don't know, maybe a three-year-old buck is kind of what I guessed. Well, this thing keeps coming at me. So now I'm like trying to I put the binoculars down and I'm trying to turn around on this branch. And I got the bow now and I even clipped on a couple times. I'm like, no, I just, I can't. I can't really pull back. Like, I don't know how much. So I get kind of jostled around. I'm at kind of a place, you know, and I'm only moving when I can, you know, when he's not looking at me and, or he's behind a tree or something. And I kind of sort of get into position. And at this point, I don't really, haven't really like gauged him a hundred percent, like whether he's a shooter or not. And he just closes the gap. He gets super close. And and now I'm like, Most years, I would totally shoot this buck. But I had a bunch of different stuff running through my mind. Like, um, do I want to shoot this thing? (laughs) Is it big enough? I'm like, yeah, I think it's big enough. Then I realized I didn't bring a knife out with me to even gut this thing if I shot it and killed it uh, because I wasn't really in the hunting mindset. So I didn't kind of go through my checklist I literally have my binoculars and my bow. That's all I have. So I'm like, if I kill this thing, I'm going to have to go all the way back to my truck, get a knife, walk all the way back out here. Then I got to drag that stupid deer all the way back. Oh, my God. Do I want to shoot this thing? I don't know. And so I just kind of couldn't make up my mind. And uh, at one point in time, he's standing perfectly broadside at like 10 yards, completely oblivious to my presence because the wind is just perfect. He's this right up wind. There's zero chance. I mean, unless some kind of swirl happened, um, but it didn't. And he just, I just, I don't know. I did. if I'd have been, I think I would have shot that deer had I had a more comfortable position. But I was kind of leaned back, and I'm like, I feel like I could do it, but I wasn't sure I'd be able to get my head down and actually line up my peep good. And I wouldn't. I don't want to take an iffy shot, so. Ultimately, I didn't. I didn't shoot him, and uh, so I was like, "Well, there's definitely deer in the area, so that's a thing." <laughs> and uh, so I sit in the tree for a little bit longer till dark, and then I can hear some deer behind me, and they get pretty close. I can. It's like now I'm kind of stuck there because it's it's past legal, but I got two deer right behind me, so I can't get out of the stand. And uh, eventually, they kind of turn around and go back the way they came. I don't think they smell me but they might have because they started to get kind of up where maybe they could catch my scent but they didn't like bound off like they like caught scent they just kind of it's kind of one of those things like they they knew something was up they didn't quite know what it was they're like "Mm, not gonna risk it so they took off and uh that was my night I, (laughs) i walked back so i think i'm gonna hunt in the morning uh just for an hour or so uh but i don't quite know how i'm gonna do it because i still don't have tree pegs or uh climbing sticks uh so i guess i'm gonna try to hope to find because it's a different wind so now i gotta find a different place to uh set up shop i don't know hope i can find a spot or uh i can make a makeshift ground blind i guess that's kind of what i'm up against at this point but whatever got nothing to lose so it was a lot of fun to just at least see that deer i mean that was pretty cool would have been a cool story go out to public land shoot an eight point buck you know hunting for a half hour (laughs) but 
it didn't happen, uh, but definitely could have happened. It's, um, had all the opportunities in the world, so that's that. All right, so I want to get on to with a rant here, and it's not um, – uh, I didn't – my brother sent me an article, and I didn't read it yet, so I, I'll try not to be too judgy uh, about what it's going to say, and maybe I won't be judgy at all. Maybe I'll agree with what they say 100%, but it was about uh, Isle Royal. And uh, I just feel like, so I just went off on like a mini tangent to my brother. I was like, you know, the thing is, we got to just stop messing around with that place. Like it's the only, it's the only national park where we actively mess with the wildlife, you know, because we're put, when the wolf numbers get low, we put more wolves on the island and then. You know, because like the the genetic diversity just isn't there, and they're inbreeding, and they're having problems. And then as soon as they they get a chance to leave, as soon as the you get a cold enough winter, or Lake Superior freezes, they take off and they're gone. You know, it's like you put a high fence up. Like the whole point I thought of Isle Royal was to kind of study this moose wolf relationship. Like what happens? Well, if they leave on their own accord, they leave. Like that's not. It's not humans that are having an impact on these things. There's only one small part in that whole island that's inhabited by people. It's like a resort up there. It's like super small. So if the wolves don't want to be there, the wolves don't want to be there. If the moose, if the moose eat themselves out of house home, that's what happens. Like there's just an ebb and flow. You know, going off of fossil records, it wasn't even that long ago that that island actually used to be a um, a lynx caribou island that was the ecosystem up there that was the predator prey relationship and for whatever reason the caribou migrated off there or the lynx killed them all and then they had to find so then they left once the food source was gone and then somehow a moose stumbled out there and a bunch of moose figured out this is a cool place to be and then you know i'm guessing we had a cold winter lake spear froze so moose are like, hey, I wonder what's over there. Maybe they caught a whiff of moose. I don't know what made them go out to that island, but they made the track, found this unlimited resource of moose, preyed on them. So humans, my rant is we have this thing, and I may have mentioned this before, more than likely I have, but whatever. We have this thing that however we find a chunk of land, that like our idea of conservation is is that like nature never changes. Like however we find this chunk of land, whatever's on it as far as wildlife goes, plants, you know, whatever, flora, fauna, is how it should always be forever. It, for forever. I mean, literally like till the end of time. Like that's how it is. That's what nature is always in flux. So that especially on an island like this, it's so isolated, like what happens happens. If it gets to the point where there's neither moose or wolves on the island, so what? Then that's what happens. Like, it, that doesn't mean that there's some crime against nature. As long as humans didn't bump them out, I guess would be the only caveat. But then, even then, there there's... Then you start getting into the... You know, humans do have a right to be on this planet in some way, shape, or form. It's like we we didn't come from Mars. We didn't come. I mean, I'm guess the jury's out on that. Some people think we came from aliens, but whatever. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. That's for an entirely different podcast. Um, but 
you know, we're not as long as we don't build a metropolis, and that's why there's not moose or wolves there. Um, we haven't developed that land. We're not logging it. We're not doing any. We're not. You know, there's campers, and that's about it. So that's not going to have an impact on whether there's moose or wolves on this island. And like I said, if it gets to the point where the wolves leave, so be it. Then that just means the wolves left. Big deal. And then the wolf, then the moose are going to overgraze, and then they're going to die back because they're going to run out of a food source. And that's just what happens. Like it, it doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad thing. If your point was to study this island and what happens and the and the relationship predator prey, well, that's part of what happens, especially when you're dealing with a an island situation. So I will read the article and then maybe I'll touch on that again, see if I amend my uh, viewpoints or uh, who knows? Maybe I agree with what the author in the article says, but I'll read it and I will check back in with you next week on the full scale outdoors podcast weekend recap and rant. So that's it. That's it for this week. Thank you for joining me. Continue to message me on whatever social media platform that you follow me. If you're listening to my voice right now and you are not following me, why? Please? <laughs> Pretty please? Uh, yeah, on Facebook. Um, I'm, I don't know. I might have room on my personal account for more friends. Uh, Dale Luganville on, full, or on Facebook. But also Full Scale Outdoors has a page on there so definitely give that a like and follow there is a full scale outdoors group if you want to be part of that definitely join that you can share whatever you want photos of fishing and hunting or foraging funny stories memes whatever i don't care if you got if if, if you're a, a lure maker you want to pimp out your wares knock yourself out um don't have a ton of rules on there so go in there have fun uh keep that active on instagram it's full scale underscore outdoors Follow me there, uh, Dale Luganville on Snapchat. I'm on the Go Wild app, um, LinkedIn. Uh, yeah, that's. I think that's pretty much all of them. So, please go on there and uh, and do that. Follow it and share these episodes. That's like the number one thing you can do for me that helps this uh, podcast grow is to share it, share it, share it, share it. Uh, coming up this week, obviously we got a Waterfall Wednesday with Nick J. And then uh, have a pretty good one. I know I'm not alone here, but the cold snap here has got me thinking about ice fishing. And I have an ice fishing wizard coming up. You're going to love it, so stay tuned. I have Brian Bro Brosdahl on. And that was a really, really good conversation. Uh, hit it off awesome. So I can't wait for you guys to listen to that one. And the more reach we have with you guys sharing it and bringing more people more subscribers more followers is a bigger reach we have as a collective and we can continue to get really good content and really good uh, people in the industry on the show so that is uh, that is my goal so once again thanks everybody for listening and uh, stay tuned bye You want to succeed, you want to fish, you want to be one of the greatest. 
Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.